welcome. Welcome to Transformation Intensive Movement One, Week Four, Praying with Our Desires. And that gets the listening thing cataloged just right. So uh, I hope you had a good week uh, spending time with nature, with God's creation. And um, I would say that creation in particular is not just warm, fuzzy things. I like the warm, fuzzy things, but there's more to creation. And uh, this week when I was reading Psalm 29, uh, I, I was, I'm really struck by that psalm. And uh, Psalm 29, I looked at my little ESV study Bible, told me that they believe it describes a storm. And, um, you know, as a Navy guy, I've been in storms at sea. And let me tell you, it's very, this is what it reminded me of. So when I read, you know, ascribe to the Lord, almighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And then it goes on and on and says, the voice of the Lord does this, the voice of the Lord does that. It's powerful, it's majestic, it breaks the cedars. Um, it flashes like lightning, you know, it shakes the desert, it twists the oaks, it strips the forest bare, the Lord is enthroned over the flood. It did make me think of a storm at sea, and um, there is no ship big enough to make you feel comfortable in a real storm at sea. Um, you know, that's the old prayer, right? Oh, Lord, my, my boat is so small and the sea is so big. All right, I've been on in storms in uh, aircraft carriers, and I've been in storms in really small ships, and it is a frightful thing, uh, you know, in either one. And one of the things that I remembered was it, it, John and Charles Wesley were at a storm in sea in like 1735, and um, they were. I mean, we're talking a serious storm on a sailing ship. And the waves completely came over to the point where they took out the mainsail, right? And so, I mean, that's, that's a real storm, all right? There's nothing higher than that. And, uh, and with them were a group of Moravians going to, they were going to the U.S. or to Georgia. Uh, and the Moravians were there on deck in a group praying and worshiping God. And Wesley said he was absolutely petrified. And the Moravians were, were, were really worshiping, and they didn't seem to be affected very seriously at all. And later, I think he writes in his journal that he talked to them and asked if they were afraid, and they said no. They were worshiping God. And I think this psalm in particular you know, we all have storms in our lives, right? I mean, the physical storm at sea is, to me, you can take it easily as a, as a metaphor. We all got storms in our lives. And I think the big question to ask ourselves really is, are we that close to God that we can worship in the midst of those storms? So that's, that's I think, what we're going to look at a little bit. So we're going to start out with just an opportunity to practice Lexio Divina like we did last week or two weeks ago. And I want to remind you that really this is an opportunity to slow down with the scripture. And, and you've been practicing that just throughout the week as you've been spending time. But it, it patterns after these four movements. 
Uh, first, we'll be really reading the scripture, and I'm going to read through it for four times, and then reflecting on the meaning, and responding through prayer, and then resting in God. So why don't you just get comfortable? Uh, you may want to close your eyes. If It actually helps to use our pattern, the palms up and palms down that we used last week, just to even open yourself up to uh, what the Lord has for you in this, this word. And I'm going to be uh, using Psalm 29, verses 10 through 11, the very end of that passage that George was referring to. So go ahead and just quiet yourself, uh, enter into this space, and then I'll read it for the first, first time. And this first time I I read it, I just invite you to be aware of any word or phrase that catches your attention. And then I'll give you a few minutes just to sit in reflection. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So as we listen to this passage for the second time, I invite you to be aware of any reflection or thought you became aware of during the first reading and bring that to mind. Maybe it was a word or a phrase from this passage that really stuck out to you. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace.
this third reading, I invite you to respond through prayer. So as we listen again, I want you to just sit with the word or phrase that came up and and be aware of any prayer that actually rises up in you as you express to God what, what you were experiencing as you were reflecting on this passage. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. For this last reading, I just invite you to rest with God. To just sit with the word and allow God to speak to you in the silence of your hearts. And to just pause and and rest. Let me read it one last time. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace.
Almighty God, thank you for the gift of your word. May we take the word or phrase that spoke to us, the thought that we became aware of, and the prayer that came from our hearts into the activity of our day as a reminder of our genuine desire to consent to your presence and action in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as good uh, retreatants do, uh, give you just a minute. If there's something you want to write down in your journal from that time, to just capture it in writing. So I'll just give you a minute to do that before I give a couple announcements and invite Val. Okay, if you're following along, we are on page 31, movement one, week four, praying with our desires. So this business of praying with desires and thinking of desires as a positive thing may be new to some of you, but the role of desire is really central in Ignatian spirituality, but certainly not limited to Ignatian spirituality, but to, Christ, to Christian spirituality in general. Um, one of my side jobs is that I teach a couple of courses at College of DuPage, including a uh, world religions course. So we do kind of a survey of the world religions. And it's very interesting to look at how Buddhism, for example, example looks at desire. In Buddhism, desire is the enemy. All of Buddhist practice is designed to help you eliminate desire. They see desire as the thing that ruins human happiness. So when I say desire is at the heart of Christian spirituality, I mean actually not only it's important, but it actually distinguishes Christianity from the other religions and the other spiritualities of the world. This is important. One writer referred to desire as the atomic energy of the soul. And when you think atomic energy, don't think like the nearest nuclear power plant or try to imagine George Ridgway like driving that nuclear submarine under the ocean. Um, all of that being atomic energy, absolutely. But think of that great star around which our planet revolves, where there is continuous nuclear reactions that create this, this power, this energy that keeps everything alive on our planet. Its desire is central to Christian spirituality in that way that the sun is central to our cosmos, to our universe. And the human being's capacity for desire is actually a, a dimension of being made in the image of God. And even though we think of it usually as a bad thing, um, misguided Christians have been taught to uh, really mistrust their desires and to think that the problem is with the desire. The problem is not actually with the desire. It's about discerning the desires, 
knowing the desires that have the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon them, knowing which desires to give away completely because they run contrary to God's purposes and scripture, and knowing which desires to hold with what can be called holy indifference. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. Um, I think we can come to this false conclusion that if because desire is the problem, then what we have to do is stick with obedience. I don't, I've heard lots of great teaching on obedience. I think obedience is really important. You know, if you love me, you will keep my commands. This is absolutely a part of Christian spirituality. But it's not meant that we would stay there. If you think about this, any of you who are parents... Um, at the beginning, we really need our kids to do what we say just because we said that's what they need to do when they're little. But in time, we hope that they will come from their hearts to value what we value. Obedience and desire have a similar kind of relationship in our relationship with God that we begin absolutely with obedience. And there is blessing. Our lives are shaped. Some of our disordered desires start to lose their power and their energy. But in time, our desire to love God, to serve God, is meant to be something that comes from the deepest longings of our hearts. One of the things that we focus on here is God's desire for us that comes first. First um, John four nineteen, we love because He first loved us. And so, as we begin to think about um, our desire for God, our desires that kind of are underneath all kinds of other desires, when we kind of get to the basement bottom desires that are God breathed, we um, we desire because we're so loved by God. So think of desire and the love of God as being connected. Um, desire actually exists within the Trinity. So God loves and desires himself. The Father loves and desires the Son, and the Son the Father, and the Spirit the Son. A triangle going in every direction. This sense of desire, this atomic energy of love and desire, this is the energy of the Trinity. God is love. It's not that he is loving he is love. This is the, the energy at the heart of our spirituality. So it can be a little bit um, unnerving to start to get in touch with one's um, desires. And two things I want to um, use to put your heart at ease, uh, and both of these come directly from Ignatius' teaching, uh, Ignatius would do actually a pretty thorough discernment process before he would let someone begin the spiritual exercises. <coughs> and he wouldn't assume that they would complete them. That was uh, an, an ongoing discernment. And if for some reason he did not feel like they were really grounded in the basic teachings of the church and of the Ten Commandments, he would say, it's really wonderful that you are running after God, and I want to help you in any way that I can, but now is not the right time for you to do the spiritual exercises. Um, because he wants to make sure that, uh, that we're ready 
to be able to discern the de desires that come up. Um, for example, if you don't quite have that intact, that understanding that our desires are submitted to scripture, you could get confused about this teaching and think just because a desire comes up that's very strong, it therefore must be from God. Um, <laughs> the classic one being um, the desire to trade in one's current spouse for a better, <laughs> more wonderful spouse. Uh, I mean, I think anyone who's married occasionally thinks, good grief, you know, have I really shackled myself with this person for till death do us part? You know, it's, everyone comes to that, like, could I have made a better choice? Um, when we get in touch with those desires, those are the desires, you actually have to be honest. Like, if you were really unhappy in your marriage, you can't just pretend that's not there. You do need to bring that honesty into your prayer. But we do submit these desires to, to Scripture. Um, and the second is that you have a spiritual guide, your listening group leader, and actually your whole listening group, to help you with the discernment of your desires. So the first step really is to name our desires and then to discern them. Sometimes we, knew, we just need to get in touch with the fact that we might even desire something that is completely contrary to what God has for us. And we don't want to just ignore that or suppress it. Um, we will want to talk about that and bring it into our prayer. And believe me, we'll have like a whole month to contemplate our sins. So there'll be plenty of opportunities for you to discern your, your disordered uh, uh, desires. But it is important that you name them and that you don't uh, judge them as, as they come up. So we take the desires that are named into conversation with others. But like our memories, our desires are also shy. And they have a way of hiding themselves until it seems safe that they should be revealed. So our hope is that as you become more rooted and grounded in God's love for you, that maybe some of those shy desires that you've been afraid to admit even to yourself, that those desires would begin to come up. One of the ways that I know that I have landed on something that's really important is that I write down a desire, and it almost shocks me to see it on paper. I haven't even wanted to admit it to myself, much less admit it to another person. And when you have that kind of like, I dare not put this on paper because like I actually want it so bad that if it doesn't happen, I will be crushed. Those are the kind of desires you want you want to get to get pulled up. Um, we want we want those desires to come up. This is where we start to take some risks to let the desires come up, um, knowing that we will then have plenty of opportunity to discern them, and that we're not in any danger just because a very strong desire comes up. So let me um, read just a couple paragraphs here and then explain the exercises, prayer exercises we'll be working with this week, and then finally I will lead you in an imaginative uh, prayer experience. Uh, this week has two important focal points. To explore the crucial role of desire as the means by which we move forward spiritually, and the corresponding call to hold our desires before God with an attitude of loving surrender. 
Ignatius instructs us to begin every prayer period by telling the Lord what we want from this time of prayer. We ask for the graces that we are seeking. But it is more than just a formula in prayer. It is an exercise in learning to pray from our hearts, from the locus of our burning desires, rather than from a sense of obligation, duty, or habit. It can be frightening to name our desires, but absolutely necessary if we are to fulfill the end for which we are created. Ignatius and many other spiritual writers insist that underneath all our human desires, even the most twisted, is a God-given desire for an ever-deepening relationship with the triune God. However, that God-given desire is often buried underneath layers of other sorts of desires. Some are disordered desires that must be entirely surrendered for the love of God. But most often, our desires are for good things that we believe we must have in order to be happy. This week of prayer is an invitation to name our desires before God and to hold these desires before God with an attitude of holy indifference. We're responding to the love of God that has been revealed to us in the previous three weeks of prayer. And let me just say, this is not the only week with desire. If you find this week, I don't know, like you're trying to command yourself to come up with your deepest desires and that doesn't happen, don't sweat it. Uh, those, desire, those desires will come up when they feel like it's time, <laughs> it's safe. Um, by the end of the transformation intensive, you might actually be shocked at how many desires you've come in touch with. All right. Um, let me bring you, first of all, to page um, 17 of your uh, prayer resource, uh, returning to what we started last week with the first principle and foundation. So this is on page 17 of your prayer resource section. If you look in uh, the fourth uh, paragraph on each one, the traditional translation says, um, to attain this, it is necessary to make ourselves indifferent to all created things. And then the other translation, in everyday life, we must hold, must hold ourselves in balance before all creative gifts. So this idea of indifference, Ignatian indifference, is something that we're starting to explore uh, in greater depth this week. Um, I've just used the word holy indifference, um, you know, because indifference can mean not caring. It can be a very unholy thing to be indifferent. This is a holy indifference where we consider all that God has given us, all that we desire, and then we give, the, give it to the Lord and we say, you know, ultimately, I just want to love and serve and reverence you. And if it happens in this particular way, that would be awesome but it's not going to like ruin my life if I don't get this. So that's part of this holding it in indifference. And almost any time you get that very militant, like, I must have this, you're probably not indifferent. It's probably not a desire that you should feel free to move forward with. <laughs> uh, that lack of indifference is a point of discernment. And also the, the indifference, this sort of open-handedness, is also a marker of discernment. So continue to pray with the principle and foundation. 
And then if you turn to the next page, page 18, uh, this is the colloquy with Jesus on the cross. We'll spend a lot more time with Jesus on the cross, but Ignatius feels like we actually need to bring this imagery in now. And the reason for that is that we are contemplating the love of God. And you really can't completely contemplate the love of God apart from the crucifixion. And so I love the language that he uses here. This is right out of the spiritual exercises. Imagine Christ our Lord suspended on the cross before you and converse with him. How is it that he, although he is the creator, and we've been relating to God as creator in the last week, can come to make himself a human being? How is it that he has passed from eternal life to death here in time to die in this way for my sins? Uh, this is really interesting. So you don't want to think of Jesus on the cross as like already dead, okay? Because you can't really have a conversation with a corpse. But if Jesus is in the process of dying, can you begin to raise your eyes, maybe make a little bit of eye contact with him, and start to ask him these kinds of questions. First of all, to ask him about his love. You know, how did you do this, creator of all? Um, and these are just open-ended questions. You don't have to have answers for them, but you're beginning this conversation. And then there's, a, a, again, this, this reflection, what have I done for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? What do I desire to do for Christ? So here, we're get, yes, we are getting at um, sometimes very simple desires. I know a woman that had been actually barren for a long time, and she would not allow herself to hope to get pregnant. And um, in, in prayer, this desire for a child came up, and she was so mad because she'd been pressing it down for so long, and she let it come up, and she was so afraid of it. And then they had two daughters. They really didn't expect them to have those daughters. Um, don't over-spiritualize this desire. Um, this, this could be something that is very rooted in just the, the trajectory, the telos, the destiny of, of your life. So uh, pray with the colloquy uh, with Jesus on the cross. And then the last thing I want to draw your attention to is an article uh, that begins in the um, article section on page 20. It's called Praying for What We Want, Sorting Out Our Desires. Um, let me say that many people have found this incredibly helpful, others not so much. So please, if, if it's really speaking to you, like read it, digest it, do almost sort of a Lectio Divina on it, like journal about phrases that really stick with you. But if you're like, oh my gosh, this is so hard going, I'm just getting nothing out of this, well, let it be. Spend more time praying with scripture. You know, don't force anything. Um, unlike praying for, uh, for, I mean, preparing for a marathon where like you can't really skip certain things, um, this is a little more human than that. It's not that mechanistic. So please, please stay with the things that are drawing you close to Jesus and increasing your faith and your hope and your love. All right, so with that, uh, go ahead and put your notebooks away.
I encourage you just to put everything on the floor. Um, just make sure your hands are free so you don't have to pay attention to anything that's in your hands. And make sure your body is just comfortable and relaxed, whatever position is closest to you. Let me tell you what we're going to do so you don't fear to follow me. Um, we're going to imagine that we are um, on a sailboat and we are perfectly equipped to do a little uh, scuba diving or snorkeling or whatever. We're not going to fuss over what kind of equipment it is. Um, but we're going to swim down and we are going to find a treasure chest and we're going to open it and see what's there. And then we're going to come back up and we're going to lay the treasure on the deck and we're going to have a talk, conversation with Jesus about it, okay? If you, if you have, a, I don't know, like a fear of drowning or being underwater or something like that, for now just sort of suspend, you know, your disbelief and just pretend in this universe that you don't have any of those fears, okay? So that's the wonder of imagination. You could be a terribly fearful person that would never in a million years go scuba diving. But in this case, you are cool with it. You love it, okay? So uh, use your imagination in that way. All right, so I uh, invite you to close your eyes. If that helps you, you can leave them open if you prefer. And have the attitude of a child listening to a story being told. Imagine you are on the deck of a sailboat in the Caribbean. A scuba expedition has been planned for you to explore a sunken treasure. You are prepared and ready and wearing all the right gear. You are relaxed, sure of your equipment, and unafraid of the water. Before you get in the water, while you're still on the deck, just notice the wind the feeling of the sun on your skin. Notice the sky and the quality of the sunlight. And when you're ready, look down into the crystal clear water. Looking over the edge of the boat, you can see a treasure box resting on the seafloor. When you are ready, use the ladder or jump into the water. Take a moment to get your bearings in the water. Notice your body in the water. Then focus your attention on the treasure box. When you are ready, 
to descend, swim towards the box. Notice any changes in the water temperature that you can feel through your suit as you descend. Notice the light filtering through the water as you move deeper. What are your emotions? What do you feel as you get closer to the treasure box? What details do you notice about the box as you get closer? Is it large or small, made of metal? Are there barnacles growing on it? Is it maybe not even a treasure box, but it looks like something else? What are you feeling as you prepare to open the box? When you are ready, open the lid and look into the box. What do you see? Look at it carefully. Is there any light from above shining on the box? Or are you in darkness? Can you identify something in the box? Maybe there is only one thing. Perhaps you have to choose among many. When you're ready, Take the item up with you and return to the boat.
Jesus and maybe some of the other disciples are waiting for you on the boat. If you need help getting out of the water, just ask. If you were able to bring an object with you, lay it on the deck of the boat. As Jesus looks at you and you look at that item, Are you aware of Jesus' feelings towards you? Is there anything you want to ask him? You don't need to know yet what this object might symbolize. But if you do, and you're ready, tell Jesus it is, what it is that you desire. When you're ready, you can open your eyes and journal about this. If you didn't see anything, if your imagination did not throw up any images for you, that's okay. You can journal about that as well. I'll give you about three minutes, and then I'll have a final instruction for you. Amen. So I hope you can return to that um, later if you wish. Uh, meanwhile, let me, let me make just um, a couple of comments here. First is that um, some people think more easily in images and symbols than in words. My daughter is an artist. Words are hard for her. Symbols and images are easier. And for some people, it's, it's, it's the reverse. So I'd encourage you just to be open to growing. So if thinking in symbols and images is hard for you, don't disqualify yourself. Just be open. Um, but if for some reason the, the thing that came up as a desire actually were words, that's fine. Um, you didn't do it wrong if you didn't have a symbol or an image. So I just want to give a lot of openness there. Um, and, the, and the second is that um, we often, I think, uh, ex have s maybe social expectations of what we're supposed to desire, and those things have to be sorted out too. I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think in general it is a little harder for women to get up our desires than it is uh, um, for men. 
Then, a last instruction as you move to your listening groups. You may not remember this from boot camp, but our idea was that when we leave here, we actually leave in silence and actually go into your rooms and sit down in silence without any kind of conversation first. So it should be eerily quiet as we begin. So if you haven't done that yet, maybe you've done a little talking and then been silent, tonight I'd like you, all of you, just to decide that you will um, just walk into those rooms, sit down, you could continue journaling, you could close your eyes, and when it's time to begin, your listening group leader will give you the cue. All right, uh, have a blessed listening group and we'll see you next week.